Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. The International Monetary Fund was in town this week, urging the government not to cut taxes for fear of overstimulating the economy. With the budget just five months away, what should the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, do? You'll hear the views of Edgar Morganroth of DCU and Cliff Taylor and Owen Burke-Kennedy of the Irish Times a little later in the show. But first, we'll start with our regular roundup of the major business stories of the week. And I'm delighted to be joined in studio this week by Peter Hamilton of the Irish Times. Peter, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. Now, we're going to start with the inaugural Irish Times Business Awards, which took place last week at the Mansion House in Dublin. And at these awards, we crowned a Business Person of the Year. Let's hear who it was. And uh, the Business Person of the Year is Siobhan Talbot of Lambia. You know, my predecessors and indeed all of the teams that went before the current team were hugely ambitious for what we could do. If you go right back to the 60s, farmers came together in a cooperative way to actually sell their output. And we now have an organisation with about 3.6 billion of revenue, very much a global organisation, products sold in over 130 countries and super people. Now, Peter, Siobhan Talbot, uh, a very worthy winner of that first uh, Business Person of the Year award. Absolutely. Uh, her, she clinched the award having overseen this deal to to uh, spin off Glanbia Irish uh, Dairy and Agribusiness, their operation into a joint venture, Glanbia Ireland. And that was seen by the judges as a major achievement considering the previous attempt they to sell the before business and failed, in they, yeah. 2010. It didn't work out in 2010. And Siobhan Talbot was one of a number of winners on the night. She clinched the yeah, top award. Yeah, talk to the other ones. Okay, so there was... Uh, other awards, Deal of the Year. Deal of the Year went to Stat Sports for their uh, one billion dollar uh, one billion dollar deal uh, in the US uh, for their the US soccer uh, federation. Yeah. So they produce monitoring devices which monitor how athletes are performing and uh, you know all of their key data and so forth. Absolutely, and and they were up on the night against the likes of uh, Total Produce, for example, for their big acquisition uh, of of Dull Dull Foods. Foods in the US. Yeah. So it was a, a great win for Stat Sports. The other. Award then on the night was CFO, Chief Financial Officer of the Year, and that went to Mark Burke of AIB, uh, again for his role in overseeing AIB's IPO last year. Uh, the largest uh, in Europe. The largest uh, in during Europe. During the year, yeah. 
And then there was Company of the Year and CRH won that after having a very active year, uh, the biggest part of which was their acquisition of Ashgrove Cement mm. in the US. And finally, uh, and certainly not least, was the award for Distinguished Leader in Business and that went to Mark Fitzgerald from Sherry Fitzgerald for his work uh, in, in the Irish property market. I did, and he gave a very entertaining uh, speech on the night. Uh, now let's move to retail and corporate. We're going to start with Murphy and Gunn, a long-time BMW uh, franchise holder. Uh, they've uh, Rathgar and, and Milton uh, places there and well known to people in South County Dublin and uh, it seems as if their relationship with BMW is, is coming to an end. It appears to have turned ever so slightly sour. This is one of, of three kind of big retail and corporate stories that we're looking at this week and the Murphy and Gunn one uh, centres around the end of their franchise deal with BMW. It's expected to end in September after 50 years. Mm. Uh, a number of dealers are expected to leave the brand under this this ending I suppose the organisation I guess yeah yeah, and and BMW currently has 14 dealers in the Irish network Uh, and as I mentioned those franchise contracts they expire at the end of September that would leave Frank Keane in BlackRock as the sole BMW franchise dealer in South Dublin Um, and, and, and this is against the backdrop of people importing used cars from the UK and Ever, you know, a small bit of trouble in the Irish market. BMW, for example, has a market share of 3.3% with 2,670 car sales. But that's down 17.8% on the same time last year. Yeah. Uh, now, now Murphy & Gunn is trying to hold on to a service and repair contract, isn't it? It is indeed, it uh, is. Which I guess in itself would be quite valuable. I suppose it would. With all of these used cars coming in from the UK, they need to be serviced somewhere. So it would be valuable. But this undoubtedly is, is a, a, a fairly significant them, yeah. loss for them. Victoria's secrets. What's been going on there? Victoria, the second of the three we're looking at. And this was interesting in that uh, yesterday, the former president of Victoria's Secret, the Irish-born Margaret MacDonald, she criticised their decision to open on Grafton Street uh, at, a, at a Dublin retail conference. She was saying that she took, or she takes rather, no responsibility for the store. She said the street isn't busy enough and it's too spotty. And her her exact quote was that Dublin is only just about above the threshold to be a big enough city for Victoria's Secret. You need a lot of traffic to support a store like that. Grafton Street is spotty at best. Uh, It's interesting because I I, I seem to recall that on its first day of opening, there was a big queue around the corner to get into it. There was a queue of about 500 women out the door to to get into it. I think there was probably the odd man in there as well, Peter. Indeed, indeed. But, you know, it was... Very uh, mm. it caused a lot of excitement at the time. Grafton Street has about sixty million pedestrians a year, so it's it's interesting that she'd say that. But it falls outside of the top ten uh, busy high streets in in Europe. Uh, so you know, it's a, I suppose it's a bit of a blow for the street. Uh, now it must be said, the company have said they're very happy with uh, with Indeed. the opening. And yeah. um, now talking about excitement, Paddy Power. Betfair, uh, the largest bookmaker in this country and one of the biggest, I suppose, in, in Ireland and Britain, um, could be set for some excitement in the United States. A federal uh, judge there has decided to set aside a long-standing prohibition on sports betting. Absolutely, yeah. Sh- shareholders could be very, very pleased with this one. Uh, at just today, we found out that they're in talks to merge their US business with fantasy sports firm FanDuel. So this comes after that decision uh, where the US effectively relaxed gambling laws, providing an opening for Paddy Power and indeed their rivals, William Hill. And this and the is like. a market that people reckon could be, analysts reckon could be worth $150 billion a year. Yeah, but the, the illegal market at the moment, they, I think they estimate it's around $150 billion for the For Paddy Power, just Paddy Power, analysts are suggesting in the region of $10 billion. Uh, so what, what happened there, it's worth explaining, the US Supreme Court 
that they struck down in 1992 federal law barring gambling on individual sports events uh, in most places. Now, Paddy Power is relatively well placed to capitalise on this as it owns the US horse racing channel TVG and also operates an online betting network, a casino and a horse racing betting exchange. And they did very well on Monday uh, on the stock exchange, their, their shares soared. Yeah, okay, well, a high-stakes game. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, Right, let's uh, move to construction and housing. A report from Daft this week suggesting that more than half of the properties that are out there to be let are are being let for short-term rentals, probably primarily, I guess, for Airbnb, rather than in the long-term, for long-term tenants. We hear about this anecdotally all the time. Uh, What Daft have said is that exactly more than half are listed as short-term lets. Daft.ie, they said that 1,200... Uh, properties were available at the moment on their website for long term, 1,400 for short term. And Daft said that these are professional listers, so they're not people who are gone out of the country for three weeks on a holiday or for four months on a holiday. These people are listing full time. Uh, that comes against this backdrop that landlords may be trying to evade this 4% cap in certain areas uh, on rent. Uh, so, so this is very worrying, both for prospective tenants, people trying to seek somewhere to live in this already difficult market uh, and for the government who, who who have tried to put a cap on on rents and uh, and it may well be being avoided now Airbnb of course said they, they didn't really agree with these findings yes, they don't agree with those uh, stats but uh, on a more positive note if you like activity in the construction sector yeah. is accelerating according to some data from Ulster Bank yeah I just wanted to flag this very briefly I suppose you know the with with this, this these troubles in rents, uh, houses are beginning to spring up, albeit at a very slow pace. Uh, but Ulster Bank were saying that activity is accelerating, although that is putting a pressure, press some pressure on supply chains. Yeah. Okay. All right, Peter. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, we're going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll be talking about the IMF's latest economic commentary on Ireland. Back in a few moments. Only twenty nine percent of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, welcome back to this Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, earlier this week, the IMF published its latest commentary on Ireland. It was broadly positive about the recovery, but it warned that the government should resist tax cuts that might overstimulate the economy and reduce our chances of withstanding another shock. Uh, Today, senior economist Seamus Coffey added his voice to it by warning that a shock to our corporation tax base was inevitable when in front of an Oireachtas committee. Now, to help me tease out these issues, I'm joined in studio by Edgar Morganroth, Professor of Economics in the Business School at Dublin City University, and by Cliff Taylor and Burke Kennedy of the Irish Times. Umber Kennedy, you've been covering both of these stories uh, for the Irish Times. Uh, just take us through the key findings in the IMF report. Yeah, well, I mean, the headline finding, or at least in a nutshell, the, the IMF's advice to us was not to cut taxes in the upcoming uh, budget mm. or in future budgets. Um, were they specific about what type of taxes? Because obviously taxes... No, they, were, uh, no, they weren't. And I mean, it, it's it could worth, be income taxes, it could be, you know, commercial taxes, it could be excise duties. Exactly. I mean... Um, Their basic warning was that, you know, uh, I suppose fresh tax cuts or on top of uh, the existing kind of planned ones um, that risked overstimulating or in their language overheating uh, the economy. You will remember back in 2006, they kind of issued one of the the, the most famous warnings that the Irish economy was overheating just before it crashed, one that was kind of roundly ignored at the time. 
But I mean, essentially, the language this time around wasn't as robust. It wasn't a shrill or an urgent warning. Um, it basically was saying what the RSI, what the central bank has been telling us on a quarterly basis is that when an economy is going very strongly and when we're gravitating towards full employment, not to throw extra fuel on the fire and to basically use fiscal policy in a kind of uh, against the tide in a kind of counter cyclical fashion. So it's pretty standard sort of e- economic advice. The problem with the advice is that it's rarely heeded by governments and it's very difficult to sell politically. So at a time when we're facing massive infrastructural bottlenecks in housing and water, you know, uh, curtailing our spending is going to be a difficult sell. And the government have already... And the fact that we had austerity for so many years and public servants are uh, campaigning for pay restoration and so hard to take them back to levels of 2008. It's very difficult, really, to hold back the tide, isn't it? Uh, exactly. And the government, uh, you know, has also already promised to mm. uh, cut taxes for squeezed middle-income uh, households. So in many ways... You know, there's a real contradiction in trying to pursue this kind of fiscal retrenchment while uh, dealing with all these problems. And then today we had uh, economist Seamus Coffey in front of an Oireachtas committee and a very stark warning that he's giving out on corporation tax receipts. Yeah. Well, what he's what he's saying is that uh, corporation tax by its very nature is is volatile. And the fact that it's highly concentrated around a small number of firms in Ireland makes it doubly volatile. So he's saying that while the step change we had in 2015, it's gone up nearly double in about four years, got, came in at a record level of $8 billion last year. What he's saying is um, th- that, that those receipts are kind of sustainable over the medium term. But one day uh, uh, they probably will uh, go into reverse. Uh, how big that's going to be he didn't specify but he said that's just the nature of these receipts and so and why does he think it's going to go into reverse is this Trump's well, tax changes is it no, because he, of a, a downturn in the economy no he didn't actually tie it to any sort of external uh, shock like that he said it's just inherently unstable and therefore and his language is we shouldn't be surprised if one day these tax essentially head back down again um, and therefore, he his warning kind of tallies with a lot of warnings that the IMF also uh, gave us this week was that you shouldn't tie current spending to these tax receipts because they, the tide may go out on them. Yeah. Edgar Morganroth, what would you be advising Pascal Donahue to do in the budget? The general uh, advice from economists would be to go counter-cyclical, which is you, you save money when times are good, you spend it when times are bad. Uh, the problem, of course, is politically that's very difficult to achieve, which is why we continue to see these kind of cycles of, of boom and bust. Uh, if we really want to break those cycles, we're going to have to try and uh, uh, not cut uh, our taxes or expand our expenditure uh, too much uh, and try and put some money away. And we can do that either in terms of... So you're of, broadly uh, in agreement with the IMF? That's that's correct, yes. Uh, and indeed, the IMF said a, a few other things uh, that relate to the corporation tax uh, issue. Uh, not only is corporation tax very volatile, but a number of our other tax headings uh, have been very volatile. If you look at capital gains tax, for example, it's even more volatile and it's currently it's, it's been very small. Uh, uh, interest uh, uh, retention tax is basically zero because tax uh, interest rates are low. So that's another uh, tax where we are not making much revenue. So our tax base is actually quite narrow. 
Uh, and uh, uh, when you knock out the volatile uh, elements, you're essentially left with, with income tax and uh, uh, VAT. Uh, you can't really uh, um, sustain that in times of difficulty, and that's what we have seen in the in the recent crisis, which mm. a lot of people, of course, have forgotten about. Uh, so we should also broaden our tax base, and it's maybe not the case of of cutting or increasing taxes uh, in one particular area, but also to think about areas where we might want to uh, uh, raise some more taxes. Give us an example. For example, the issue uh, uh, raised by the by the IMF, which which uh, uh, I think they picked up from a report that I published uh, a couple of months ago, fuel tax, the fuel tax, excise tax. Um, there was a good reason for doing what we did in two thousand eight and reforming the tax system for uh, cars and and fuel, uh, but we we overdid it a little bit and. Uh, there's a significant am- amount of money has actually been really given away uh, by the government uh, mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, so in total, it was something like a billion uh, and half of that uh, comes from excise tax. Uh, that uh, has environmental consequences, quite bad environmental consequences. We should be taxing bad things more and we should be taxing good things less. And of course, we know now that diesel is a dirty fuel. Don't we? We thought it was quite environmentally uh, friendly, but or at least better than petrol. But actually, uh, it turns out from the Dieselgate scandals um, that it's quite a dirty fuel. That, that's right. We 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 probably didn't pay that much attention to uh, particulates that come out of out of diesel cars. Mm. Uh, we 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 knew about it, but we didn't really pay attention to it. They're still uh, emitting lower uh, CO two, but. Uh, there are these other health be- uh, impacts that we see. Yeah, uh, particles are very dangerous for human health, aren't they're, they? They're, that's in right. cities particularly. Yeah. They're, they're carcinogens, so, so people are actually dying because of them. Sure. So you're advocating an increase in the tax, uh, you know, car taxation, uh, and also an equalisation between diesel uh, excise duties and petrol. Uh, particularly the diesel, the, the fuel one, I think is is is, is a prime target. How much would that raise? About half a billion. So that's not not to be sniffed at. Uh, and you could either uh, take all of it, or you could say, well, actually, your tax cuts are going to come from this. So that would be revenue neutral. Uh, you know, give a half a billion back to taxpayers, mm. but maybe by by looking at at uh, but half a billion income is, is really is, nothing is, in terms of giving giving back for income tax cuts. I mean, what would that mean? Let's say. Uh, yeah, okay, so who knows. Uh, anyway, Cliff Taylor, let's get to the politics of this sure. because um, what the IMF and what Edgar is saying, you know, they could be right. But uh, we have a minority Fianna Gael government. This is the third budget of three that was agreed with Fianna Fáil as part of the Confidence and yep. Supply Agreement. We could have an election in the next six to 12 months uh, and governments tend to like to give something back mm-hmm. uh, to citizens in their final budget before an election sure. because... They want the feel-good factor. They want to win some votes, yeah. etc. Now, at the same time, Pascal and uh, Pascal Dunahu and Leo Varadkar are preaching fiscal prudence, and they've been uh, waving a stick at Fianna Fáil, um, you know, warning that yeah. Fianna Fáil would overheat the economy uh, again. So, and you know, people are probably just starting to feel a little bit better about themselves mm-hmm. after uh, a lot of austerity in the last couple of years. Things have really picked up in Ireland, mm-hmm. and people might just start. And they're hearing all of these stark warnings mm-hmm. uh, about Ireland possibly overheating. Yeah, I mean, it's, the politics of this are actually quite interesting because you're right, and as Edgar said, we have a, a you know a continuing record of spending in the good times and uh, cutting back in the bad times. And in fact, if you look back at 
Irish economic growth figures over the last 20, 25 years, with the exception of three or four occasions, growth has either been over 4% or under 2%. So we're either, we're either booming or we're, or we're, or we're really uh, in trouble and, and having to cut back on our budget. We just don't seem to be able to do that normal year-by-year year, 3% kind of growth rate, sustainable growth rate. You know, we, we go for it. And, you know, Charlie McCreevy's famous, famous phrase, when I have it, I spend it. Um, so can, you know, can we finally break that? Mm. Square the circle for us. How yeah, is he well, going to do well, it? Well, one of the interesting things is that there, after the crash, and, and I suppose people are still really hurting after the crash, and I think part of the politics of this is that you're right, of course people want money in their pocket, and of course people want services improved, but equally there, I think there's a caution in the back of people's heads. So you've seen, for example, Pascal Donoghue and Leo Varadkar playing the prudence card, and Fianna Fáil trying to jump on jump on that bus as well. So all sides are, are Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael at least are agreed, uh, and I think Labour would sign up to a two to the to, to, to the rainy day fund uh, coming into operation next year. Now it's not a huge amount of money. There's going to be money moved out of the structural investment fund uh, to start the fund, and the, and the minister's going to put in five hundred million a year. It's well, we not did a have huge the National Pension Reserve Fund, which we built did. into a, a sizable pot of money, which was and then blown on the banks largely. We did. Uh, it was blown on the banks. Equally, we would have been in a lot worse trouble had we not had that pot of money co- come the crisis. I think you know. I think you have mm. to realise that. Uh, and we must hope, I suppose, that uh, in future times the fund might be used uh, to uh, to. Uh, you know, to to, mm. to 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 dampen things. Come on, it's five times. five months to the budget. What's he going to do? How's he going to How's he going to square all of these various demands? I think he. I think it's impossible for him not to uh, not to use a lot of the money that's available to him. I think the question is, will he use all the money? How much has he think, got? How much well, will he have to play around? There's, with there's been a lot of smoke and mirrors about this, and the government is currently in discussion with the European Commission about a lot, a lot of technical things, such as what our borrowing requirement should be, and if you adjust for the stage of the economic cycle, what we should be aiming for. We had thought for some time that the fiscal space, in other words, the amount, mm. the total amount you would have within the EU rules this year was going to be over three billion. He's tried to play that down very significantly. He said, look, we already have a lot of these commitments. We already have money committed to public sector wages. We already have money health committed service. to health service, investment, democratic pressures and all that. I think you'll still have north of probably north of a billion and if he raises some money through the kind of measures that Edgar's talking about probably a bit more the question really is is he is he going to spend it all I think the clever thing to do politically and certainly economically would be to aim for, to have a, the budget in surplus next year so that he can stand up on budget day and say look I'm doing X, Y and Z I'm investing for the future but we're going to balance our books next year uh, the government's been fudging it a bit saying we are balancing the books at the moment there's a bit of flex there because in fact we're still borrowing we're meeting the EU rules for the budget but we're actually still borrowing money I, I think if he needs to get up and say I'm, I'm not borrowing money and he, he still have plenty of scope to spend a bit more and maybe uh, and maybe tax a bit less while doing that where, where will he focus his tax cuts in your opinion? Well I think he he's already signalled that he would focus them on the middle ground of, of income taxpayers by increasing the rate at which people start paying the higher rate of tax but I think there's one thing to really look out for there, which is this. It is that people are finally getting wage increases now for the first time probably in a number of years. To compensate for that and, and to ensure that people the tax burden isn't increasing on people, the government should really be indexing the tax credits 
and the tax band for you know for inflation. Otherwise, people are going to be pushed to pay pay more income. So you're tax. no worse off every year, essentially. Exactly. So, but traditionally, Irish governments haven't done that. Mm. So I think this is going to be a stealth tax increase in the budget that that the bans and, and credits aren't going to be fully indexed. And the minister will still try and, I suppose, make us grateful for, for going some of the way towards doing that. The interesting thing to see will be, OK, so a bit of money spent there and a bit of money, uh, a lot of money spent on infrastructure and public sector pay. The, infrastructure, the interesting thing to see, as Owen and Edgar have been saying, is whether he looks to raise money elsewhere. Uh, to balance that from yeah. areas like And just Jesus. on that, I mean, he raised the stamp duty for commercial transaction, public yeah, transaction. that was his trick last to, year. Uh, 6% last yeah. year. It took us all by surprise. Absolutely. Uh, I can't remember what the figure was that he, he said would be raised, but yeah. anyway, it doesn't matter because yeah. most of the property experts are saying we won't get anywhere next to yeah. near that because it was based, it was coming off a base uh, where we had a couple of supernatural yeah. transactions in one given year that, yeah. you know, just aren't repeated. Yeah. Uh, so even increasing taxes sometimes doesn't bring the benefit that you think it might. Absolutely. And we have had the we've had this benefit from corporation tax over the last few years that any shortfall elsewhere has been more than made up for by this big, huge increase in corporation tax. And, you know, even talk to some of the experts in the area and people are a little a little fuzzy about exactly why this has happened and a little yeah. fuzzy about the scale of the increase. Uh, Owen, housing is obviously a very important issue in Ireland at the minute and the IMF had a few words to say on that. Yeah, kind of a mixed message. Um, they sort of said that some metrics here uh, indicated prices were modestly overvalued. And uh, when we questioned them about that, they got a bit hazy, some of the officials, but they they sort of said that, um, you know, when you looked at price to income ratios, um, they were pretty high. Uh, when you looked at affordability, they said it was being stretched. But then when we said, do you actually think prices are now officially overvalued? they kind of retreated away from saying that. So uh, it was kind of a mixed message. They they sort of sent out a few warnings about it, but nothing very clear. Yeah, okay. Um, Edgar, are we in bubble territory? A lot of people are worried that we are. Well, we, we should certainly worry given the kind of price increases we are seeing. I think the difficulty in assessing whether we're in bubble territory is that it isn't uh, uh, the case that we have one housing market in Ireland. We've got lots of housing markets. And Dublin and the greater Dublin area is is rather different uh, from, the met- from the Midlands, for example. Okay, fair enough. And, is and, Dublin and, in bubble territory? And so that is something that I think nobody has properly assessed yet. Uh, we certainly know that that uh, uh, the supply isn't coming on fast enough and that's driving up prices. Uh, and for investors, it would seem like a very good idea to to invest in property right now, which doesn't help uh, uh, the, the average person looking for, for housing. Uh, and that's, of course, exactly what we had uh, in the last uh, uh, bubble, uh, that investors really got into this. And, and there was a shortage of housing, and hence we had very rapid increase in prices. And isn't one of the problems here that we're largely reliant on the private sector to deliver all of this new housing for us? And essentially, a property developer can drip feed uh, uh, developments or properties uh, into the market to suit themselves. Um, the timing is entirely in their gift. That's absolutely correct, and, and and it makes it even worse for lower income people because uh, uh, there's more money to be made in the high uh, income segment, and that's what the market is supplying predominantly. Uh, for the social housing, uh, the market's not going to supply it because it's not profitable enough, and that's where the state needs to step in. Yeah, Cliff. What about competitiveness? Are you are you concerned, particularly in Dublin, because rents are seem to be out of control? I mean, a lot of people just can't afford uh, the rents that are being charged, and we we saw. 
very good story last week. Uh, I wrote it myself, uh, but uh, that aside, <laughs> anybody could have written it. Um, about Irish life, uh, Irish life investment managers have decided to become an institutional landlord again, so they're going to get into the market like IRES and Kennedy Wilson and, and so forth. And they've acquired a development that was being uh, built in Churchtown by Park Developments. It was essentially being built to be sold to people. And now um, these all of these uh, properties are going to be rented out. Irish Life has taken it, taken it over as a job lot and is going to let them out. And we're talking about rents. You know, the experts uh, would say rents anywhere from sort of €1,600 for a one-bed unit, maybe up to 2700 2800 for a three-bed. Yeah, I mean, I think per month. you can have an argument about whether uh, house prices are overvalued, but rents are certainly rents have certainly gone mad. They're way above the uh, way above the the peak of the uh, of the of the last boom, certainly in Dublin and, and the major urban centres. Interestingly, I was talking to a one of the, a couple of the major recruiters uh, this week for something I'm working on, and uh, they were saying, not surprisingly, that this is really starting to become an issue for businesses now, attracting attracting staff, uh, attracting staff from overseas, for example. If you're offering higher level jobs of 60, 70, 80 grand a year, fine, those people can still afford rents in Dublin, even though it's a stretch to find to find a property. But if you're looking for staff in the kind of 40, 50 grand uh, area, they simply can't afford it. Uh, and, you know, this is starting to, to, to set off some dynamics in, in, in the economy. For example, a year ago, 18 months ago, some of the big companies were looking to establish part of their cost centres, part of their employment outside the city centre in suburban in suburban Dublin, uh, where rents were a bit uh, cheaper. Now, according to recruiters, some of them are actually looking at moving the entire operation uh, or establishing the operations outside Dublin. Uh, we've seen we've seen an, uh, investments announced for Sligo, for example, and some other regional areas in the last in, in the last while, because. If you're attracting middle, lower level staff, they simply can't afford to, dub- to live in Dublin anymore. So, you know, the downside is definitely competitive pressures. Maybe there's an upside here for part of, uh, for, for rural Ireland, to, to some extent anyway, in, in, in that we may finally yeah. see some investment moving out. Although, of course, there's still still barriers to doing that. Uh, Edgar, are we, are we in danger of spreading ourselves too thinly uh, in, in terms of if, you know, the... Uh, issues that Cliff has just identified there, like investment going to you know places in the West Coast, let's say, rather than Dublin. Are we better concentrating our investment on Dublin, let's say, even in multinationals, rather than spreading it uh, here, there, and everywhere? Well, it's if you look at where it's going, uh, even if it's going outside of Dublin, it tends to still go to the cities. Uh, there have been a number of announcements recently in the northeast, uh, Dundalk, uh, which essentially is part of the greater Dublin area. It's on the M1. It's the right side of the airport. Uh, it's not that far away from, from the sort of key infrastructures that multinationals are looking for. So it's I, I still think it's very unlikely uh, that you see large investment going into very rural areas. It tends to go into the, uh, into the urban centres. But I think the bigger danger is that we will lose some potential investments that would only come to Dublin that are now going to go somewhere else. And that's the kind of issue in terms of the competitiveness of the Irish mm. economy that we need to be very careful about. And Edgar, the government have a very ambitious infrastructure plan um, for the next number of years um, involving you know, a metro link and uh, various new roads and healthcare and educational facilities and so forth. Uh, if you were in government, uh, what would you prioritise? Yeah, I, I've actually written about this uh, over the, the last while. Um, 
think what's, what the government is proposing in the national planning framework, uh, Ireland 2040, uh, is to try and develop uh, the big cities outside of Dublin. And to do that requires significant investment in those cities, not between them, uh, not in rural areas. Um, so if you wanted Cork to grow, uh, you need to actually have the, the space to put the houses, the services to service those houses, uh, uh, including social services like uh, hospitals, like uh, education and so on, but also transport. And if you put the transport infrastructure, if you, if you, if you focus on areas between cities, you get sprawl. We've done that. Uh, uh, we should be focusing on the areas within cities. And in that respect, I'm a little bit critical of the National Development Plan, where uh, the transport infrastructure spend is, uh, is more than 50% on, on uh, roads rather than public transport. And we're going to have to increase the public transport usage in Ireland if we're going to meet our sustainability goals. Uh, and indeed, we need to tackle the kind of issues that the housing crisis is throwing up. I mean, it's throwing it up in Dublin and it's pushing people further and further away, but it's doing that also in some of the other cities. And, and what, it is, what we end up with is people commuting long distances primarily by car, which is not sustainable. It's not good for these people. It's also very costly and has competitiveness implications. So you're in favour of Metrolink? Will it work? Uh, Metrolink, the, the issue here is to, to actually get the planning right and to have the densities uh, and the usage of, of the link of the metro uh, uh, as it should be. Uh, the, in the past, we've seen that with, with Lewis, for example, there are areas where the densities have not increased. Uh, uh, but to get the, the best bang for your buck is to, uh, and particularly for a high-frequency, high-capacity system like a metro, is to actually get densities up. That means servicing uh, the land in and around that uh, uh, metro, and it's, it's really a relatively short space, uh, basically a kilometre uh, either side at most, uh, where you need to concentrate the development. If we fail to do that... It's going to be uh, uh, not as, as, as efficient as, as we would want it to be. And clearly we do need some new roads and there's been a lot of talk about a Cork Limerick motorway. The government seems committed to that now. Uh, are you in favour of that? Uh, and for example, let's say a, a ring road around the M50, a second M50, uh, uh, which was talked about back in Bertie Hearn's time, but went away because of the crash. Yeah, again, going back to the earlier discussion, uh, clearly the amount of money is limited. Uh, and so when we have a budget constraint... Uh, we can't do everything. And in that context, I would focus more on the public transport and within uh, urban area uh, uh, the investment rather than those motorways uh, and try and shift uh, some of the, the, the transport users into, into more sustainable modes. That would help the road space uh, uh, free up road space and, and make that more efficient but I think it also would help ultimately uh, the, the commuters Finally Cliff uh, what Edgar says may stack up you know might, it might sound logical but politically it's it's a hard sell isn't it it's a hard sell telling the people in Cork and Limerick no you can't have your motorway because we're going to build a public transport instead Yeah perhaps it is but at the same time the whole emphasis of the plan uh, was to move people closer to the centre of cities and if you're going to do that uh, then you've got to have public transport within the cities themselves. And I kind of wonder, have we, as a kind of a society, got our head around this idea of city centre living? 
Um, there's planning around now out in Salorgan in the news in the last couple of days where, you know, a high-rise development's been objected to on the basis that it'd be, it'd be like uh, an old communist Eastern Europe block. Um, there's been a... Now, mind you, Salorgan isn't really city centre now, is it? No, it's not. It's not it's, city centre living in it's fairness. It's true, but it's, it's, what is it, five or six miles out of the centre of the city. It's, you know, it's the kind of area where we're, we're going to need to, to have more, more people... Uh, more people packed into if the if the government's plan is going to is going to bear fruit. Uh, I mean, everyone's not going to fit down mm. in custom house to, custom house key or whatever. I think the whole philosophy of the plan is to avoid people having long, you know, ten, twenty, thirty uh, mile commutes into work in in their car, having the tailbacks on the M50. And and you know, we saw again uh, an argument in a Dáil committee this morning where uh, the M50 was being discussed and Transport Infrastructure Ireland were saying, look, we're going to develop the the M1, the M2 and the M3 and the roads feeding the M50 to try and uh, lessen the congestion on those roads. But of course, then you're just feeding more cars onto the M50. And, you know, Eamon Ryan stood up and said, well, is Mm -hmm. the answer not more public transport? But for as long as people want to live outside the M50 ring, then we're going to be providing for them. So I'm just not sure we've really got our head around. We have this nice new plan. Mm. I'm not sure we've got our head around the whole concept of, 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 of what this means as for society and, and, we do and have selling this, that to the public. We do have this plan as a Fine Gael plan. If they're out of government uh, in a year's time, does the plan still stand? I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. And uh, I, the government made a big fuss trying to sell the plan. But I think ever since they've kind of been a bit distracted by uh, the, the range of kind of scandals and controversies that have blown up around them and by the whole Brexit, uh, the whole Brexit question. And we haven't really heard mm. an awful lot about it, except we've seen little kind of battles starting to develop and signs of how difficult this is going to be. For example, in the Metro, uh, where a big GAA ground, Afiana, in the Minister for Finance constituency is going to be closed for six years to allow an underground line to be built. We have the minister and the Taoiseach saying, oh, maybe they can find another way. Maybe we can find somewhere else. So it's already begun. It's already begun. Yeah, all right. Well, maybe in a future yeah. podcast, we'll get some Fianna Fáil people in here and uh, they can yeah, tell I'm not us. Sure what their, I'm not sure what their attitude is, but, you know, everyone wants a metro, but nobody wants their own... Uh, nobody wants the hassle. Nobody wants yeah, the hassle. Sure, okay. All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Edgar Morganroth, Cliff Taylor, Umber Kennedy and Peter Hamilton. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook and I should remind you that this podcast is available to download for free on iTunes and you can also access it on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.